This morning we are going to start a new series. We're going to start a series on stewardship. You know, I've been very hesitant to talking about this. And as I've been preparing, as I've been preparing my heart and studying and preparing to preach about this, I've become very excited about it because I see how necessary it is for our good and for our joy and to be faithful stewards of all that God has given us. And so I've been hesitant to talk about it because, uh, you know, there's a lot of preachers out there who preach a lot about money. There's a lot of preachers who have uh, bad intentions, I think, and are greedy and, and maybe talk a little bit too much about money and it just turns people off. It turns people away from Christianity and those who are uh, exploring Christianity tend to uh, get this idea that that's all that Christianity is about or all that preachers and churches are about. They just want my money. And my name is Keith Dollar. And so it's kind of hard for a preacher to, to have that last name and then to, to talk about money too, right? Uh, in, in a way that's... <laughs> To honor God and not come across as I'm all about the dollar, right? Because uh, I'm not. I'm about the kingdom of God. And yet, I know that if if I as a pastor refuse to talk about money and the stewardship of not just money, but all that we have, I would do a disservice to you as the church. Uh, because there are so many biblical passages that address the issue of money. About 10 of Jesus' 40 parables address the issue of, of money and, and how it's handled. And so there's a lot of Jesus' parables that I wouldn't talk about if we never talked about it. There's a lot of Old Testament, New Testament passages that wouldn't be addressed. And I know that there are so many dangers that come along with money. There, there are so many pits to fall into and dangers and pains and stresses that come along with, with money, the use and the misuse of, of money. I know that marriages, one of the, the greatest stresses that causes conflict in marriages is money, right? Talk about the finances with, with your husband or wife and starts getting a little bit heated. There's a lot of emotion attached to our dollars and where they go and where they can't go. And, and how much is coming in or how much is not coming in. And so it's an important topic. Jesus knew that, that money is so close to our hearts, that our treasures is so close to our hearts. And Jesus went to, he aimed for the hearts of people. And therefore he knew that if he was going to reach and impact and, and influence the hearts of people, and turn them towards God, he had to talk about those things that are most dearest to people's hearts, namely money. He had to address it. He, he, he's the one who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understood that close connection, so he had to address it for his followers, whether they were poor or whether they were rich. They had to hear about the message. And he had to hear him say things like, you can't serve God and money. Okay? And so we're going to start off, I think one of the, the best places to start when it comes to talking about stewardship of all that we have is, is, is with the foundational truth that it all belongs to God. And so we're going to start with this message titled, It's All Yours, O Lord. It's All Yours, O Lord. 
Okay, that is that summarizes David's prayer in First Chronicles 29. And my aim in this sermon is to lead you, church, into praying this very thing. It's all yours, O Lord. Like David prayed. I want to lead you into praying this and not just praying this saying, God, it's all yours. Take it. It's yours. Lead me, guide me. It's yours with what you've put into my hands. I, I not only want you to pray that, but I want you to have the biblical perspective that will free you up to handle everything God has entrusted you with. Because there can be a lot of pain that occurs from misuse of what we've been given. And there can be a lot of joy that we can experience through rightfully handling all that God puts into our hands. Amen. So let's pray and then we'll dig into First Chronicles chapter 29. Father, thank you for your word and the opportunity to proclaim it here this morning to your people. And as we open up the scriptures and as we think about our lives in light of the scriptures, would you lead us into your will, onto your agenda? And may we truly pray and and surrender to that perspective that it's all yours, God. So have your way here this morning. Give us understanding. Give us your heart. May we be overwhelmed with the sense of your greatness, your power, your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. If you all would stand with me, we're going to read 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. And I have it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you or if you've got a different translation and you'd like to read along with us. 1 Chronicles 29, at the end of 1 Chronicles, this is a powerful prayer. One of the most powerful prayers in the Bible from King David. It's a very worshipful prayer. Okay, First uh, Chronicles 29.10. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, say this with me, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Verse 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. For I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. 
In uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statues, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord, your God and all the assembly, bless the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord on the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before for the Lord on that day with great gladness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I think that that prayer in itself is a powerful sermon. That is just, you can just meditate on that and get so much insight out of that. So the big idea of where we're going this morning from this text is that God is the owner and the ruler of all things. And all we possess is to be faithfully stewarded under His authority. God is the owner and the ruler of all things. And all that we possess is to be faithfully stewarded under His authority. This is a powerful scene in the, in the history of Israel. Uh, it was coming time for, for King David to pass the baton to his son Solomon, who would be the one who would build the temple. Uh, David was very passionate about the presence of God. He was very passionate about the glory of God and the name of God being honored. He was passionate about the people of Israel experiencing God and knowing God in a very deep and a profound and a real way. And he wanted to honor God by building a temple, a place where God could be worshipped and people could encounter him and the glory of God could fill a temple and fill the lives of his people and, and God receive honor and glory from that. So it was an honorable thing, but God, God was like, no, David, you can't do it. You can't build the temple because there's too much bloodshed on your hand. David was a man of war. He had killed lots of people fighting. And, 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 and Solomon was to be the one who would build that temple. And he did. He did. He, and the glory of the Lord, when that temple was built, it, the glory of the God filled that place. It was a powerful thing. It was a powerful thing. David was one of the greatest worshipers in the Bible. And he worshiped God extravagantly. He cared so much about the presence of God, the glory of God. He treasured God. He treasured the word of God. He wanted God to be honored. And what he desired was a very honorable thing. It was a very honorable thing. And David's worship was, was more than just a praise offering to God. As we sang this morning, praise is the offering I bring to you. That's great. We should do that. But our praise and worship should be deeper than our mere lips. We should put our money where our mouths are. David's worship affected his pocketbook. His worship of God. He worshiped not only with songs of praise, but he worshiped with all that he had, and he gave it as an offering to God. And again, I, 
I know that in speaking about this today, I'm at risk of being categorized as a televangelist, as a prosperity preacher. And even though my name is Keith Dollar, I am not a prosperity preacher. Okay. Uh, but I know that it's, it's for your joy, for our joy and for our good that we focus on this and that we have a biblical perspective of this. So David is, is the example here that we see. And then not only David and the leaders of Israel, but then the people. But it, it started with David leading with this, with this abandon to God, this surrender, this worship of God. And then the, the heads of the houses, the leaders of Israel, it says in the first part of First uh, Chronicles 29, they begin to give sacrificially, willfully, joyfully, uh, an offering for the building of the temple. And then all the people did. And it, it keeps saying it was a joyful thing. It was a joyful thing. It was a joyful thing. And it reminds me of the book of Acts. What the, what the church was like in the book, book of Acts. They lived with, they worshiped God with gladness of heart and they, they sacrificially gave to one another to those who had needs within the, the community of faith. And this is a core value of Christianity. God is a generous God who loves to give. He's a giver. He's a a giver. He is radically generous towards his people. And his people who have received from grace upon grace and received blessing upon blessing from God, we can't help but in turn be generous people as well. We can't help but in turn turn our hearts back to God to give all that we have to him because ultimately it belongs to him. And then we give to others. And so here's, here's a foundational truth that we see in this text. And, and, and when it comes to stewarding well all that we have, uh, a foundational truth is that everything belongs to God. Notice in verse 11 what David says, For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Okay, verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. All is yours. This is the biblical perspective. Some of us probably need a paradigm shift when it comes to this. Because we, we look at what we have and we think, this is mine. This is mine. And God, God's like, no, this is really, it, it all belongs to me. A quote here from, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It all belongs to me. Deuteronomy 10, I'm going to just share a couple of scriptures that highlight this truth. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and earth and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Leviticus uh, 25, 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Job 41, 11, Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verse uh, 12 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. That's powerful. Like, if God did get hungry and he needed some food, he wouldn't say, Hey, can, can you guys help me out? I need some food. Give me an offering. Give me a grain offering. Let's sacrifice some lambs here. I want to do a barbecue. God doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need our money. Actually, it's all his anyways. And if he wanted it, he could, he could claim it at any time. 
Haggai says that, that the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And then not only is the stuff that we possess, not only does it not belong to us, but even our own bodies and our being belongs to God. Okay, God created us. And so just by, by that reality, we're, we belong to God because he's our creator. We're creation. He designed us and he knows what's best for us. He owns us. He made us. He's the reason we live and move and have our being. But then he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul is reasoning with the Corinthian church, who was an immoral church. They had some significant issues. They were Christians, but they were loved by God. Uh, they, they had come to Christ, but they needed some sanctification big time. There was some sexual immorality going on, some messed up stuff going on, dysfunctional relationships and misuses in the church. And Paul reminds the Corinthians, he says this, encouraging them to live pure and holy lives with their bodies and not live sexual morally. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Let that sink in for a minute. Because not just everything that we have doesn't belong to us. It ultimately belongs to God. But even our bodies and all that we that makes up our being belongs to to God. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've not only been created by God, but we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we belong to Him. We're His. Uh, somebody uh, said, uh, a lady came up to Tim Keller after he was preaching or teaching and, and said, you know, she, she got this concept and, and she said that, uh, you know, if I could contribute anything uh, if I contributed anything to my salvation, then God couldn't ask anything from me because I, I gave, I contributed to it, right? But, but if I'm saved by sheer grace, then there's nothing that God can't demand of me. If I'm saved by sheer grace, there's nothing that God can't demand of me. This is a foundational truth, not just for stewardship, but for the Christian life. We belong to God. We're teaching our children this right now with catechism. The first question is, parents, I hope you guys know it if you're teaching the kids this. What is our only hope in life and death? Okay, the answer for the children's version. That we are not our own, but belong to God. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love the, their song with that. But that has ministered to me as I've been preparing. And actually, I've, I've, I've just pondered that 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 question and that answer, uh, because because sometimes like when I ask my my three year old Abigail, the way she has answered that question a lot of the times is I'll ask her, what's what's her only hope in, in life and death? And she'll say, God. And I'll say, you're right, sweetie, that that's true. It, God is our only hope in, in life and death. But but why does the catechism phrase it like that? We are not our own but belong to God. There's something very profound about realizing that you're not your own, but you're God's. You see, not just is God our hope in, this, in, in life and in, in, in death, but that we belong to Him. And He's going to take care of us in life and in death and in the, in the life to come. Whether we're sick or poor 
or, or whether we're uh, persecuted, whether life is really hard or life is really good, whether we live or die, uh, we're the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. Romans 14. And there's just there's there's freedom that comes in knowing that foundational truth that we're not the masters of our fate. There's somebody greater beyond ourselves that's in charge of everything. And he's a good, benevolent father that wants what's best for us. And we belong to him and we belong to Christ, our savior, who laid down his life for us. And so this is foundational for us to get this, not just in our finances and possessions, but just in, in this is the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of stewardship. We are not owners, but we are stewards and managers of all that God has entrusted us with. The second thing here I want to point out from 1 Chronicles 29 is that everything is under God's rule and God's authority. Okay, notice verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens. And in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. See, David recognized, in many Psalms, we see David recognizing the ultimate authority of God. Even when David had nothing and he was running for, for, for his life from King Saul and hiding in the wilderness and he was struggling, he recognized that God was sovereign over all. And in, in, in his times of abundance, like this time right here, where there's just this really special moment of abundance and blessing, David recognized that God was sovereign over all. In David's hard times, when it was difficult, he recognized God is sovereign. God is ultimately in control and he rules over all. And he's the one that we will give an account to. He's the one whose authority we're submitted to. When David had an opportunity to kill King Saul, he was hiding in a cave and, and King Saul had to go to the restroom. The Bible says he had to relieve himself and he went into a cave. They didn't have nice toilets and restrooms like we have these days. So he went into a cave and David and his men were hiding there and David's men are like, kill him. And, and David's like, he, he cut the corner of his, of his robe. Okay. And David felt so convicted, just, just that he did that. He, you know, that he, that he, that he cut the corner of his robe. And Saul, he saw Saul, and Saul saw that he, he could have killed him. And, and Saul, like, later on, like, he weeps, and, and, and he, he realizes David could have killed, taken his life. And Saul says, you're more righteous than I. But David said, how could he, how could I lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? Even though Saul was an ungodly king and was doing some terrible things, Trying to kill David unjustly, David acknowledged the ultimate authority and sovereignty of God in his circumstances. And it helped him to submit to and, and go through some really difficult circumstances in life. And so this is also foundational if we're going to steward our finances well and be freed up to be faithful stewards with all that we have. We, we need to realize not only that God is, is the owner of it all, but he's the ruler of it all. I think there's a, a verse in, in Hannah's prayer in, in 1 Samuel that she, she says the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He lifts up and he brings down and so on. And so whether you have a lot in life or whether you have a little in life, God's sovereign. He's in control 
And he's the one whom we will give an account for with what we've done with what he's entrusted to us. Amen. So everything's under his sovereign rule. He's the owner of it all. Notice, too, that in this prayer and this time, David and the people of Israel are overcome with, with a sense of God's greatness, his power, his authority and how great and awesome he is. And it's from that revelation, it's, it's from that revelation that they just like sacrificially gave to the building of the temple because they saw that God and his glory was much better than anything they can hold on to in this life. It was much better. It all belongs to God. Amen. I was planning to... Uh, to do an illustration this morning, I forgot to do it. I was going to give a, a pencil uh, to somebody, plant it in here like Kevin and, and say, hey, can, anybody got a pencil and, and, and take the pencil from Kevin and just break it. And, and y'all would be like, why, why do you just break Kevin's pencil, right? <laughs> and to, to illustrate the, the reality that that pencil wasn't Kevin's. I let him hold it for me until I asked for it. And then I broke it to illustrate it's my pencil and I can break it if I want to break it. <laughs> right? And so everything we have belongs to God. And when we have that perspective, when God gives and when he takes away, we're not going to get upset and be like, God, you're, oh, you, you know, we're, we're, we're going to realize it's yours. It wasn't mine in the first place. You let me have it for a little bit. That was great. Uh, John Wesley had his house burned to the ground. Uh, and a, a man came up to him, a distraught man, frantically rode his horse up to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. And weighing, it, weighing the news for a moment, Wesley replied, replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means less responsibility for me. <laughs> some, some may call that denial, but, uh, but he recognized that it was the Lord's house. You know, Job said when Job lost everything that he lost, he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. If you have a mindset, a perspective that everything you have is yours and you, have, you think you're the owner and not a steward, then you'll, you'll get upset when everything's taken away. And, and you'll have a hard time worshiping God when everything's taken away because you'll think, That's, that was mine. That was my, what are you doing with my pencil? Breaking my pencil like that. That was mine, right? And so we should see everything that we have as a gracious uh, stewardship that God's entrusted us with in this life. And he's the one that we give an account to and who rules over it all, who has authority over it all. And so the other thing here is that everything we have has been trusted to us from God. Verse 14, David says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? See, this wasn't an obligation for giving here for, for, for David and the Israel, the people of Israel. It was an opportunity. This was different than the tithe. So it was demanded in the Old Testament law that the Israelites give 10%. That was, that was the law. By the way, there's no New Testament demanding of 10%. FYI. 
Although I would recommend that practice, I've practiced it since I've been a Christian, and I think it's like training wheels for giving. It's a great place to start tithing. Uh, but this was this was not tithing. This was not taxation. Like, okay, the king needs some money to build this temple. Uh, this was a willing, a free will offering, and they offered willingly, and they did it joyfully, not because they were co- uh, coerced to, or because they were demanded to give. They were overcome with the sense of greatness of God, that God is good and God is worthy of it all. And, and I love this verse, the second part of 14. For all things come from you and of your own we have given to you. I mean, just think about that for a second. What do we have in life that hasn't first been given to us from God? Everything. Everything that we have in life has been given to us from God. And so then like the it's not such a big deal when we think about giving anything to him and sacrificing anything and it's not I think Spurgeon said that you know I'm really not giving a sacrifice it's it's God's anyways, right? So this can free us up having this biblical perspective can free us up to be generous with our possessions. It frees us up to be generous people. That's what the Bible does command generosity for Christians to be generous. Uh, Paul told Timothy in first Timothy six, command the rich not to be haughty or trust in uncertain riches, but to be generous and to to be rich in good works, to do good and, and help out. Others. That's just Christianity. Jesus did that and he, he spoke so much about it. He spoke so much about giving those who have to give to those who have not. That's just Christianity. Christians throughout history have given to the poor and have been generous people from the very beginning of the, the early church, early history of Christians. It also frees us up from greediness with our possessions. When we realize that everything we have from God is not our own, but it's God's. It frees us up to be God's UPS man or woman, you know, and that's just that's just really fun to be the, the Amazon delivery person. Right. That shows up and, you, you, you know, you deliver the gift that they've been waiting for. Right. And you get to see them open it up. And oh, wow. How, how cool. Giving's fun. It's, it's exciting. It's a joyful thing. It's actually Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it starts with having this perspective that it's all God's anyways. And so we should be freed up from being greedy with what we have. And we should be freed up to be generous with what we have. We should also be freed up from pride that comes with all that we have. Like, ooh, look what I, I've worked hard for this house, this boat, and this everything that I have, right? That's one of the dangers of wealth is we can get so proud about our accomplishments and the things that we possess in life. A lot of rich people tend to be snooty, don't they? Tend to look down on other people. There's a pride. There's a danger of pride that comes with having a lot. Because you start thinking that, that it's all, you know, you're, you're all, it's all you. Like it belongs to you. It's your, you have this ownership mentality and, and knowing and recognizing that God, it all belongs to God helps keep us humble. Like everything I have, it's not just because I worked hard. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 says it's God who's given you ability to, to gain wealth and, and to work hard with your hands and, and, and bring in an income. That's a gift from God that he graciously gives and he could easily take it away at any time. So be humble about it. There's plenty of business people who have 
in, in just days, in a short period of time, have had a whole lot and have had a whole little and were super humbled by it. And they could have avoided that pitfall by having a, a humble mentality in the first place. Also, you know, having a biblical perspective when it comes to possessions uh, frees us up from worry. You know, we don't have to be so so emotionally connected to the stock market. Is it going to go up or is it going to go down or, you know, we, or, or whatever investments that we have? We can trust that God entrusted me with this and he's going to continue to provide for me. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. And worry and fear like zaps the life out of so many people. And it grieves me to see Christians who have an orphan mentality when it comes to God's provision in, 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 in this life. And they, they act like orphans, like they have to provide everything for themselves as if there's no God out there who graciously provides for them and is going to take care of them. It also frees us up having a biblical perspective of possessions and wealth frees us up from worshiping our possessions. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. He knew that there's a competing, uh, there's a competition for our affections, for our devotion, and we can't serve both. And then lastly, it can free us up from heartbreak that comes when we lose everything that we have. We can respond like, like John Wesley. If your house burns to the ground, well, it's the Lord's house. He'll take care of me. He'll provide. He's done it in the past. He'll do it again. It's my desire to see us as a church be freed up from some of these stresses that come along with, with money. It's my desire to see, see us men here not overwork to be rich, like be able to rest because you're not so driven by ambition that you need more, 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 because that more monster is never going to be satisfied. God graciously provides everything that we need, and the gospel frees us up to rest and not overdo it to try to make a living. So there's so much more I want to say today, and there's so much I can't say in five minutes, and so I'm not going to try uh, that's why this is going to be a series, and we're going to focus on it. We're going to get, by God's grace and through the Scripture, we're going to get a biblical perspective on stewardship and stewarding our lives well because it's my desire that we hear from Jesus when we see Him, when we die and when we step into eternity, we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear that, and we live for that day. We look forward to that day and we don't want to have our lives destroyed by the love of money. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says that's the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil. okay, And it can be very destructive. And so we want to have a biblical perspective. Here's some questions that I think it's important for you and I to ask. First, I think we need to ask God, what do you want me to do with your money? Right? So if we get this mindset that it all, it's all yours, God, then we should ask him, what do you want me to do with your money? This is your money, not my money. If you don't think it's God's money, then you're not going to ask him. You probably haven't asked him because it's, it's yours. I can spend this. I can go out and do this and that and spend money on this and that. But if we have the mindset that we're stewards and this is God's, then we'll ask this question. God, what do you want me to do with your money? This has been good for me. This week to think through my purchases and my spending and talk to my wife about 
God, what do you want us to do? And it's kind of exciting to, to think like he's going to answer and he's going to lead us into directing what we have in, in, in good investments to help people and bless people, like to give towards people. I mean, that's just, that's exciting stuff. So ask yourself these questions. Also, not only ask God, what do you want me to do with your money? Also ask yourself these questions. And this, this, these questions, these four questions are taken from Randy Alcorn's book, um, Managing God's Money. He's written a few books on, uh, on stewardship that are, that are just well done. Uh, a solid guy, a solid book. He has some solid stuff to, to read about stewardship on. And so I've tapped into that this week uh, in studying for this. But here's four questions that, that he encourages uh, people to ask. In spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it or am I acting as if I'm the Lord's trustee? And then next, what scripture passage requires me to spend this money in this way? I know I'm like, this, these questions kind of step on your toes a little bit. Like, give me some space. Don't ask me about my checkbook. Don't talk about much. There, there's, there's emotion tied up with this, right? I'm sure some husbands and wives are going to go home and talk about this. And it, it may create a little bit of conflict. That's okay. Work through it. And, and ultimately, I think the conflict is, is our perspective not being biblical. That's where the conflict comes from. You know, we may need a shift. Uh, the manner of living and spending that we have, we may t- need a shift. A lot of times we think, well, if I just had more, everything would be better. I wouldn't have the, these pressures. But oftentimes we're living ab- above our means and God is like, you can, you can simplify a little bit. You don't need all that stuff. It's just adding pressure to your soul that you don't need, right? And so I think oftentimes that's the that's kind of the low road that, that Jesus calls us to. It's not like just get more so you can spend more on yourself. Randy Alcorn says that God increases our our uh, level of of income not to not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. I thought that was a powerful quote. Okay, what scripture passage requires me to spend this money this way can i offer this purchase up as a sacrifice to the lord this is a good one right i mean just think about some of think about some of the foolish purchases you've made i don't know if anybody made any foolish purchases recently but i hate that feeling when you 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 you're, you get sucked into a bad deal, you buy something you don't need, and really you don't even want it. You know, in that moment, you you think you want it, and you get it, and you're like, "Why did I get this? This is useless." I was hanging out with a relative not too long ago, and we were at the mall, or and and, and he bought some like shoe polish that was that was forty dollars. I was like. What were you thinking? You bought four, you bought shoe polish for $40. You don't even need that. And he's like, man, he, you know, he sat me down and he, and he cleaned my shoes and then, you know, he asked if I wanted to buy it. And I'm like, dude, you got suckered. You know, like, like we, we spend money on things we shouldn't be spending them on. And so I think it's, this is a great question. Can I offer this purchase up as a sacrifice to the Lord? When you ask that question, it shifts to, how can I honor God and then how can I bless people? Not how much can I spend more on me? And then lastly, will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? That's a great question. So Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust will corrupt them, where thieves 
robbers will break in and steal and take your stuff and you're jacked and you got nothing. All right. You come home from vacation and your house is empty. Don't put your heart there. Don't put all your treasures there. You send it up. You just send it up by being a generous person. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. And that's because you can't take it with you. You're not going to put it in the coffin. You're not going to put it in the hole with that person uh, when they go. Like, you can't take it with you into this next life. But you can send it up by giving. You can store up your treasures in heaven by giving to others, by blessing others. And that is a wise investment. Amen. So let's pray and let's respond. Thank you all for being gracious and Listen to me talk about finances with you guys, but it's necessary. It's necessary for our joy and for us to honor God with the stewardship that he's given us in this life. Amen. Father, I thank you that you haven't left us in the dark with how to figure out how to do life here on earth. That you've given us a manual. You've given us truths to build our lives on and live our lives by. And there are so many questions and so many things, uh, wisdom and insight that we need when it comes to dealing with this, the stuff we call money. And Lord, I pray that you would give that to us. Give us wisdom and how to handle all that you've entrusted us with. And may we be a radical, generous church who shows love through our generosity, not just our words, that we give of our time, our energy, and our resources to one another, to you, recognizing that ultimately it's yours and it came from you. Who are we that that we can give to you in, in, in such a way, God? May we be humbled by that. May we hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. let's respond and just declaring to God it's all yours let's pray that